0: Welcome to another episode of the Water Women Podcast, the podcast All Things Ocean. I'm your host, Jill. Welcome onto to the Water Room podcast. I am so excited to chat with you today. How about you
1: start out by introducing yourself uh, and a little bit about what you do for our listeners. Sure, um, so my name is Wanda and I, I actually live and work in London, uh, in England. I'm actually originally from Hungary. So um, there's a bit of an accent happening there. Um, and I moved, moved to England in 2006. And um, after spending a couple of years just working, I actually went and studied a master's master degree in the University of Brussels. So I actually moved back to the continent and I did a two-year uh, master's degree there in marine science. And then I spent a year in the Netherlands doing some uh, benthic uh, research, which was quite useful. Um, And then I moved back to England, um, and I got introduced into the world of offshore work. (laughs) So um, at first I went to do some, um, I basically worked at the the installation of wind farms, so like offshore sites, uh, mainly of uh, the Netherlands and Germany. Basically, the work was to, to carry out um, monitoring of sound, sound mitigation, um, so that what that meant was um, that we deployed these uh, underwater uh, recording devices, and then they would record the whatever noise that was generated through the offshore works, and then that sort of needed to be run through some clever algorithm. And then we had to basically report back to the go- local government to make sure that the, um, the, the sound didn't, didn't go through X number of decibels, et cetera. So that was, that was um, quite tough uh, here and there, because basically if you work offshore, you are in an enclosed environment. So if you have no internet, then you have no internet. You only have x number of screws and x number of tools that you can use. Then you only have that. You don't really have spare equipment. You won't necessarily have enough of whatever. So it was it was quite challenging in the sense that everything had to go right, but most of the time something always went wrong. <laughs> of course it did. Of course it did. <laughs> um, and you know, obviously, the, all these works are, are always around. Um, have to go around the weather, weather patterns as well. So, if there's high wind or significant wave X or whatever, then you can't do the work, then you just sit around, etc. Um, but as much as I enjoyed the job, um, it was it was a bit tough because you had to go sort of away for X number of weeks and then you came back. And then it was just trying to sort of organize your work life and your social life. Mm -hmm. It's just, uh, that's not something that's um, quite easy. And basically after I got married, um, I just got to the point when I was like, I can't do this anymore. Uh, because it was just a, it's it's I mean, a lot it's a lot yeah sure. I mean I was in a very odd situation actually because the day two days after my wedding I was on a ship in Norway oh. So, oh my goodness so that was I think that was the point uh, when when I just thought that I need to find something within the aquatic sciences of course but I need to do something else. And so, um, as much as this may sound a bit strange, perhaps, but when you live in London, there's only one water body that uh, there is, and you don't have to travel X number of kilometers, and that was River Thames. And I and I thought that, uh, well, there must be something living in there, or there, it must be interesting in a way that um, you know, there must be something that you can do. And so I tried to apply to various jobs, mainly in the charity sector sector, and, and just try to get, get my uh, foot in the door. And then eventually after volunteering actually for a charity called Thames Estuary Partnership, um, I, I was basically offered the job which, which I, I still hold. So um, I've been with Thames Estuary Partnership uh, since 2018, January. You oh, know, full time basis. And uh, it's quite interesting in a sense that we're trying to sort of communicate the fact that here is the River Thames, it's a tidal river. I mean, the part uh, within London for sure. And, you know, because it's connected to the sea, therefore it's connected to the global ocean. And then it's, it's all part of, of the one big thing, you know? Yeah. And um, obviously there's plenty of wildlife in there. Um, but what our kind of wildlife there? would you find in there? Yeah, so because it's an estuary, it does have that zonation, so you have the marine side, you have the brackish part, which is pretty much central London, and then you have the freshwater part, which is um, um, I don't know I don't know if you've been to London before, but you must have heard of the area called Richmond.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that goes further. That's further up uh, upstream. So that part, all the way to the source, is is freshwater. Because of this donation, you do get the variety of of fish. So all together, there's 125 species of fish that live in the towns. And And that has been a huge recovery, especially since the 60s, when unfortunately it was actually declared biologically dead. However, that wasn't as... Dramatic as it sounds, because there was still life in it, but it was this sort of biologically dead was was more applicable to the fish, because there was only actually two species of fish that could still survive uh, in the heavily polluted Thames, and that was I think the flounder and the eel, the European eel. But in any case, um, I think with the Thames. What's interesting is that during the 60s there was this downfall and as much as the civil rights movement started in the US. At that time. um, The environmental movement also kicked in a decade later, and I think the main driver for that was the first image of earth from space because people started to realize that, you know, this is green, this is blue, yeah. Yeah. a bit of uh, mm-hmm. brown here and there. But at mm-hmm. the end of the day, what you see is nature. You don't see all these social constructs. Uh, when you look at look at Earth, you don't That's see money, uh, you don't <laughs> see borders, you don't see any of these conflicts that we are actually uh, pressuring ourselves into. And so I think that had an effect on 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 many things around the globe, but especially on the Thames, because things from the 70s really started to recover, and it has still been recovering, um, and it's pretty healthy in a sense that it it, it flows through through one of the uh, busiest uh, cities in the world. But obviously, there's there's the issue now of the plastic pollution,
0: which. Yeah. <laughs> which when you're flowing through one of the busiest cities in the world you're going to be hard-pressed to avoid pollution yeah. of all different kinds because it's so like beaches are one things where they get tourists and people going every day but if you're running if you're a body of water in the middle of a city you're taking a beating in terms of pollution
1: yeah, yeah I actually had the luck uh, because uh, through, through uh, work connections, I managed to get onto this, um, actually this summer, there's a lady who uses the, the manta troll in the Thames, you know, to sample the plastic. Wow. And, and she needed volunteers, and I knew her, her from work, and I sort of volunteered in a, in a public uh, personal basis. Um, And uh, we we trolled at six, yes, I think it was six sites, uh, along the Tidal Thames, pretty much through the central section, through the city, and every single uh, sample had plastic. So when you do the mountain trolling, Obviously, you will sieve the samples through, uh, and in this case, we sieved it through uh, uh, three different sieves and even in the smallest ones, which I can't recall now, but it was pretty small, you could still see that that there was plastic, so you would have this sort of debris. This natural debris occurring, but then within that debris, you would have the pink and the red and the blue. And yeah. You know, so those are the things that you can definitely spot, even with the naked eye, and see that that's, uh, that shouldn't be there. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. Is there anything I'm, put in place to kind
0: of like prevent that or help that in any way?
1: Um, it's, it's a really good question. Um, there, there is the effort now of building the it's it's a, it's so-called uh, super sewer, so it's it's called the t- uh, Tideway Tunnel, and basically what they're trying to do there is uh, to stop any uh, storm overflows going into into the river. Okay. And obviously, this is not just a problem of the towns. Uh, if you look at a world map, you will see that every single major city is built next to a water, a lake, a river, a sea, or an ocean. Mm. And that's because, you know, there used to be this prevailing thought that dilution is the solution. Yeah. And unfortunately, here and there that's still happening. And because of the different things that we actually use, which does carry certain amount of plastic, even if you think about just, for example, well, in this country, it is a issue, the putting down wet wipes in the toilet. Yes. Um, so those things can sort of escape uh, in these overflows and enter the Thames. So by building uh, the Tideway Tunnel, what they hope that they will able to hold every, everything that's not supposed to be in the river, they will be able to hold it there and then just gradually feed it to the uh, water treatment works and therefore uh, stopping uh, this kind of pollution entering. But you, you will not be able to escape just general littering yeah it's not even the littering uh, in a way that people do do it on purpose I don't think they do it's there's a bit of a lack of oversight when it comes to actually making sure that the riverside bins are emptied
0: Mm. it's It's kind of like one of those are we ever going to get away from it questions like you can put into place of like having garbage bins every five feet but are people going to use those there's still going to be things that get accidentally dropped like I think we're hopefully for the most part at least the majority of us are past the point of seeing people purposely drop litter like I feel like I'd like to think that the majority of people have enough common sense to be like oh my garbage goes in the garbage however I don't want to overestimate common sense in people but yeah we're still going to get the accidental littering and dropping things and things that blow away in the wind
1: and that's uh yeah i mean i think it's it's called tidy littering when people still put the litter next to the already overflowing bin yeah
0: yeah so, it's, like, the effort's there i appreciate yeah. the effort
1: yeah so and you know i mean London being a little bit wind windier here and there, and um, um, we also have the uh, roaming foxes during the night, uh, so they can care they can open up uh, course, these yeah. yeah. little bags and <laughs> black little bags, and and those will um, escape. So, there I think there are lots of elements when it comes to pollution. Uh, so in terms of um, introducing a solution, obviously one solution won't work. In any case, um, I think the the effort is there. Um, it's just the question is how how much uh, the message can actually get out there and into people's consciousness.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. So I actually went a little bit away of of. Um, what I actually do. That's okay we Um, love tangents here we
0: go on so (laughs) many tangents on this podcast that's what this podcast is built on is tangents but what are you actually doing what's your job?
1: Yeah so my job is is quite interesting in the sense that um, I sort of um, do things which are here in the within this context within within Thames history partnership is sort of brand new so i'm basically i'm trying to um merge together gis so geographic geographic information system and marine science and then use it as a tool to sort of visualize what is happening and to be extremely specific what i do is trying to gather fish, migra- fish migratory barrier data and then map it on within the whole of the uh, Thames River Basin. so it is Thames catchment, what we're talking about. And then with that map being built, the idea is that that would reach uh, the stakeholders and the community, local community, whoever, and they can sort of use the map to try to understand how their local river, and I'm not just talking about the Thames, but also the Thames tributaries, how much they sort of disconnected. So let's say the European eel comes in from the North Sea and wants to swim up on the the river Thames, but then after a while can't turn to the left into one of the tributaries because it's blocked, with the weir or with the sluice or with the lock, then that's a problem. Yeah. yeah. And so the only way to solve that problem is first people have to know where these barriers are, what kind of barriers these are, how much they can actually mitigate by either removing it or installing a pulse, and then how, how beneficial to actually address a barrier at a location because if let's say the the habitat the river habitat upstream from the from the re- uh, barrier is is not suitable then there's no point then you need to find somewhere where there's actually multiple benefits yeah, yeah. Um, so in a nutshell that's what i do within Thames Street Partnership. And I also focus on other things. If There's like a random need for a map, visualize something. Um, um, And I just do various IT stuff as well. Um, Just generally being a little bit more geeky when it comes to computers.
0: Hey, that's important stuff. You've got a lot of people out here that are very like, oh, I just love the animals, but like you throw me in front of a computer I don't know what I'm doing. And so it's so important to have these people like you in here that are able to do that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, it's, it's actually quite interesting when it comes to, you know, what's your idea of being a aquatic scientist, whether if it's freshwater yep. or marine yeah. or estuarine. So there's the, the ideal of this is what, what I'm supposed to do and this is what I actually do. And there's a lot of element of, oh, I didn't think that I'm going to be doing this, but I enjoy it. So I feel like
0: there's always that big misconception when you're going into aquatic sciences of you're going to be in the water every day. You're going to be outside all the time. When in reality, you're looking at a computer screen 90% of the time, but that other 10% of the time really makes it worth it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But then if you think about it being outside every single day that's after a while that also gets old
0: fun. gets old that's for sure especially if you're outside like so nice to be outside when it's a beautiful sunny day nice and warm yes. and you're outside also when it's pouring rain and freezing cold and windy and like I don't know about you but that's not my ideal
1: weather yeah um and then um, so that's one um job that I hold I also have a second one which is also intimately connected to the Thames actually so I, I work with a company called the Active360 and we basically deliver stand-up pedal boarding sessions oh cool on the uh, freshwater part of the Thames so a little bit away from the city where it's a little bit more uh, green and nature and uh, there's actually things to sort of show uh, and I specifically deliver the Thames natural history tours, That's meaning great. that I take out a group of people, I teach them to stand up pedal board as well as trying to introduce them to the river Thames by talking about the natural history and the ecology of the river. That's, so, that's awesome. so awesome. So that the idea is that this whole misconception of, oh, the Thames is dirty and and therefore it's it's bad, or it's brown and therefore it's dirty and therefore there's nothing in there. So that's what we sort of trying to like, you know, uh, hush away by, by sort of, no, not in a lecturing way, but still <laughs> like an educational talk. Yeah, in just trying to install the, the knowledge which then opens up the eyes of, of people and you know, and then hopefully when they next time look at the river, then then they actually think about the fact that, oh, there's fish in there, or oh, there's actually two species of seal that occasionally be, can be found. There's also sometimes harbor porpoise that you can spot very rarely. Seals are actually more often, um, uh, especially well, when it comes to a pandemic, that was actually quite beneficial for (laughs) the Thames seals. They actually they basically hang out outside the Thames estuary, um, where they have these um, sandbanks and whatever. And then they occasionally swim upstream through the city, um, chasing their fish or whatever. And then they hang out there and they wait for the tide to turn and then they go out. Um, or at least that's why I like to think what's happening. But actually last year was pretty crazy in the sense that there was like regular seal sightings. Oh, wow. Especially if you go out pedal boarding, etc., then you will have a bigger chance uh, to encounter a seal. And there was actually a very specific occasion. I wasn't there, so I can't really say too much about it. I just saw videos of it, but actually a seal jumped onto the boards on the pedal board. Oh no. and And just, you know, I don't know. Hanging, expecting no. what's happening, or I don't know. Um, I have a a very unscientific and very small theory of what's happening there when they do jump on to onto the paddleboard. It actually happened with rowers as well. There's a bunch of rowers all the time up in the up in the um, in the um, the freshwater part of the Thames. And then they do jump onto onto these uh, rowing boats as well, which are actually <laughs> quite thin. So then there's this issue of a l- little bit rolling as well. And actually, when the when this happened with the structure of jo- the seal jumping onto the paddleboard, she actually fell off, off, off the board as well because you know it's just the weight distribution and et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Um. So you. You, you do get these kind of things here, which is which is why I think it's really important to, to think of the Thames as a place of uh, home for aquatic life land- or wildlife, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love
0: that you're using the, um, the stand-up paddling as an educational purpose. Like, it's one thing I feel like to hear about the river and to hear about the estuary part and all the different parts of it and all the animals that live within it like you're like okay that's that's really cool but then to be hearing about it while you're on it and getting that like actual physical experience I feel like really like nails it in there for you it kind of like drills it in
1: makes you understand it and appreciate it a little bit better. Yeah definitely it brings it brings people close closer to nature and I do I do get the feedback of you probably heard of this book called the uh, blue mind mm-hmm. um where, which is sort of introduces you the 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 fact that being close to or on water or near water is actually really good for your mental health yeah people yeah. do get that out of standard paddle boarding and i think it, it does have that element of of when you're on a paddle board you don't really have the occasion or the opportunity to think about other things because at the end of the day you need to be able to just Focus. assess the yeah, yeah. environment around you you have to make sure that you know you you stay upright you turn when you need to turn etc and and this is a tidal river so we actually have to think about the tide as well yeah and so um i think a lot of a lot of the the concept of the blue mind comes into the picture as well as there's another psychological concept, which incidentally was actually developed by a Hungarian person, it's called uh, flow. So flow is the state of mind where what you do at that time, in that moment, you are completely wired in and there's nothing that's actually um, disturb you or, or nothing actually um, takes you out of that sort of flow that, or zone or call it whatever. So I think that there's the element of uh, the blue mind and the flow that actually comes together oh, within oh, okay. the standard pedal boarding. Yeah, and then yeah. if you think about the, 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 na- the nature that actually surrounds you then I think it's the perfect package of, of, of just, um, you know, just having a quiet time for two hours or three hours, however the session, however long the session is.
0: Absolutely. You definitely feel like totally refreshed after. And it's also like a workout. So you're getting like those endorphins. It's definitely an underrated workout for sure. Yeah. Every time I finish, like, I'm like, oh, like, I'll go out for a nice, relaxing board. Like, oh, so nice. And then I'm like getting out. And I'm like, I can't feel my arms out. Like what? Yeah. Like it's, yeah. it's a workout.
1: Yeah, it definitely is.
0: But it's like when a relaxing you... one at the time. Like you don't notice you're working out. So before we head off here, if the, anyone wants to learn more about you and your job and what you do, is there anywhere they can follow you on social media or find you on the internet?
1: Yeah, actually, I do have a Instagram account, um, which is called Thames Peddler. Perfect. Or uh, on Twitter, it's uh, it's called um, Thames GIS, because that's what I sort of more used to be. uh, um,
0: Professional, professional. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah um and uh the website for Thames History Partnership is thameshistorypartnership.org um so that's where uh, people can sort of follow and 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 look into things a little bit more perfect well Wanda it was so awesome getting to chat to you today thank you for coming on to Water and
0: Podcast and I can't wait to share this episode thank you very much for having me Thank you for listening to another episode of the Water Women Podcast. I love sharing these stories with you and I love that you love to listen. Make sure if you like the podcast, you're leaving a review and liking and subscribing to the podcast. It really helps us out. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Water Women Podcast and on Twitter at Water Women Pod. You can also check out more from us, including quizzes, blog posts, and shop our site at waterwomenpodcast.ca. Thanks again for listening and until next week, stay salty.